Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Koop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. This whole month we're talking about empowering the future. We're talking about building the next generation of leaders. And there's one thing we need to pass on is faith for the next generation. If you've got faith, you've got enough. Uh, a number of years ago, when my younger sister Wanda was going to study in, in Dallas, and uh, she didn't really have enough money for the trip or the schooling, and she didn't even have some of the paperwork ready, and yet she had to get on the plane. I remember going to Calgary, and we're getting her on the plane, and we're sending her off, and we we're like taking a deep breath. And uh, she gets on the plane, and there's a song that Johnny Cash used to sing, and this would date me, I know, but he used to sing this song, I've got Jesus and that's enough. And uh, she got on the plane, and she said, I've got Jesus and that's enough. And there's something about it. If you have faith in the Lord, you've got enough. Uh, if you've got that, you can could, you could make it anywhere in the world. And there's something we need to pass on to the next generation. Pass on our faith. Trust in a living God is enough to get you through. So this morning we're going to talk about that. How do we pass on our faith, the importance of passing on faith to the next generation. If the church is going to survive and the church is going to grow, we have to pass on faith. Not just religion, not just set of to-dos and not-to-dos, but living faith in God has to be passed on to the next generation. So we'll, we'll talk about that this morning. In your notes, the first verse there is Psalm 71, verse 18. David's writing here, the psalmist. He said, Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me. Uh, David feels like other people that get old to get some gray hairs. Don't pass me by. I still want to contribute. And if you're here this morning, you feel, hey, that's me. I'm older. I'm getting a few gray hairs. And you're saying, like David, don't forsake me. And let me say this as we, as we launch into this, as we talk about it this year. This is for everybody. We need everybody. And if you're older and got gray hair, God absolutely needs you to pass on your faith to the next generation. And as much as David said, hey, don't forsake me. There's new people coming up. They're doing this and they're doing that. But I still want to be busy doing something for you. And I want to tell the next generation, I want to be part of this. And uh, so if you're like me, older and got a few gray hairs, then we're, we're in the right place. We want to pass it on. And there's a great place, a great role for us, encourage the next generation to live and walk out their faith. If we do that, you know what? The church is going to thrive and grow into the next generation. So David's talking like some of us would say, Lord, don't forsake me. What does he want to do? David says, I want to declare your strength to this generation. I want to declare your power to everyone who's to come. What's declaring strength and declaring power? Really, that's testimonies, talking about the miracles that God has done. David could talk about some miracles. He could talk about what happened when he faced Goliath. He could talk about other stories. He could share the stories of how they came out of Egypt years earlier. And he could tell the next generation about the strength and the power of God. When Cheryl read that testimony from the Grady's about how God healed a little four-and-a-half-year-old girl, that's a story of strength and power. And it gives you courage when, I don't know if uh, Joe and Jessica are, are in this service, but I think, yeah, there you are. Your story encourages me, Jessica. What a miracle it was for your baby to survive. How old is your son now? One year and five months. And man, we prayed. Yeah. And you prayed. The doctor said, no, there's very little chance of survival. If the baby does survive in the womb, he's going to be a vegetable. But God, God intervened. Your family was amazed. The doctors were amazed. A story of strength and power lost 
all the water in the, in the, in the womb there and, and just was no chance really of survival. But God, God's strength and power. I bet you'll tell your kids that story. Yeah, sure. You'll tell your kids that story. You'll tell your friends that story. There, you can have faith in God. This young couple had faith in God. Not everybody understood it, but they just stood. And they just said, we'll take it one day at a time. We'll take it another day at a time. And today, healthy, one-year, five-month-old baby boy. And he's, he's all boy and all healthy to the glory of God. Strength and power. You tell those stories about God's strength and God's power to the next generation. It's not just a religion. This is a relationship with a living God who still does miracles today. Folks, I want to tell you something. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And also, he's not a respecter of persons. If God can help this four-and-a-half-year-old girl in Fort St. John or Joe and Jessica as they were carrying a child that was in trouble in the womb and deliver that safely, God is also caring about you. Faith is heaven's currency. By faith. If you go to the book of Hebrews, it says, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith, by faith. Faith is a currency. If you have faith in God, you're a very rich person. You can have all the money in the world, all the success of the world, all the things of the world. But faith is more precious than any of that. By faith. The Bible goes on to say in 1 Peter, it's the most, more precious than gold. If you go down to the bullion store today, you can buy a maple leaf gold coin for about $1,400, a one-ounce coin. If you filled your pocket full of those, you'd have a lot of money in your pocket. You wouldn't carry it around in your pocket. What would you do with it? You'd put it in a safety deposit box or you'd put it in a safe. Because why? That gold is precious. But think of this. Your faith is more precious than all that gold. Jesus calls it precious. God calls your faith precious. That's why he says, guard your heart with all diligence. Out of there flows the issues of life. Faith is the most powerful thing in the world today. More powerful than any atomic bomb. Jesus said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. Oh. So well, I don't know if that would ever happen. I don't think that could ever happen. If you ever go to Egypt, go to the cave church and have them tell you the story of how faith moved the mountain. It's an amazing story how a people pastored, fasted and prayed. And a, a leader of that country changed his faith because they saw a mountain move as they agreed together. It's an amazing story. It really is. You can go there and study that. There's faith that moves mountains. There's this powerful force of faith that's inside of us, more precious than gold. This is what needs to get passed on to the next generation. We live in a world that's focused on uh, how do I pass on as our country grows and we have more affluence, there's uh, more and more studies. What do I do with the wealth that I've accumulated? How do I pass this on? What do I do with it? It's good to focus on that, good to leave an inheritance. I'm just saying today that God's far more interested in how you pass on your faith than how you pass on your things. And we need to give thought to it. Passing it on. We had a number of years ago when we were living in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Speedy Creek, as it's known there, and uh, we had a, a fellow who, was, who ran the McDonald's store. He owned that. Before that, he was an RCMP officer, and uh, he was also on the Olympic team for pistol shooting. So he was an athlete, a businessman, a law officer, and uh, well-respected in the community, but the problem was he was struggling with lung cancer. 
young family and uh, had already bought a place for him, his body to be put to rest. But we kept inviting him out to a full gospel businessman's banquet. Bob never came and never came. Then one day, finally, he decided to bring his wife there. He should take her for a meal. They're paying, they're providing it. They're buying my way there. I'm going to go to this meal. Make a long story short, that day, a group of us business guys got around praying for him. Pete the painter was there. We called him Pete the painter. He was the only guy who painted for a living, obviously. And uh, I was in the oil industry doing well site consulting. And another guy sold cars and ran a dry cleaning store. We got together. We were just praying for Bob. Bob came there that day, and the speaker got up and shared a story. Bob came to the front, had an amazing encounter with Jesus. And that day, when the speaker went to pray for him, Bob said, I was amazed this happened to me, but I found myself lying on the ground. And it was like a gyroscope began spinning in my lung. I could feel it spinning faster and faster. And there on the floor, I committed my life to Christ, and I felt like something happened to me. He said, I got up the next day. I could breathe. My lungs were clear. A couple of weeks later, he's going to Saskatoon to do an MRI test to see what happened, and the doctors could find no trace of it. He said it was the most amazing thing. I was just thanking God on this drive up to Saskatoon and praising God for all that he did, and I'm a new Christian. I don't understand it, but he said, I found myself talking in a language I'd never learned before. He says, and as a police officer, I found this is very strange that I'd be doing this, but it felt so great. I felt just like my heart was pouring out to God. He said, later on, I found out that God had given me the gift of speaking in other tongues, and I was just amazed at how God was blessing my life. Well, we watched Bob grow in his faith, and then two weeks ago, Bob was on CBC, given, awarded, number one, champion of change for Canada as he's brought great change to the country of Haiti. You know what he's doing? Passing on his faith to another generation. Amazing story. Going to Haiti, helping all those people. And of course, over the years, church, you know the story. We've been able to partner with him. But I thought I'd show you a little clip from CBC telling his story. Because you know what he's doing? He's passing on his faith to another generation. And you invested in that. See, it's not just always us passing on we do that, but it's investing in others that are helping us pass it on. We can't always go, but we can sponsor somebody who's going. We can get behind them and say, man, I cheer you on. Go for this. And when we get to heaven, as much as they went, you too will be rewarded because you helped sponsor them, pass it on to another generation. It could be somebody like Bob. It could be just another person in your community. It could be another family member. It could be an intern at the church. You say, you know what? I want to sponsor you that you can go through this. I want to help you get your faith to another generation. Faith can move and change the situation. And he's, he's changing Haiti. And uh, I, I thought we'd be good to see this because this is coming through the lens of CBC. It's not a Christian organization. You know that. But it's just good to see how they view this champion of change who had a change in his faith in the early 80s where he cried out and accepted the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. So let's watch this little video and then we'll go through a few more scriptures. August of this year and um, it's a country with very little hope and people like Bob Davison and he's been there for almost five years. But here's a guy who retires 
He retires and says, you know what, I got a little coin in, my, in the bank. What can I do with my time? And he heads off to Haiti and starts building schools. And I think he's responsible for more than 50 schools already. He's responsible for feeding something like 13,000 children a day. That's a pretty active retirement and one I'm pretty uh, envious of. Yeah, indeed. It, it, it's a great story. Let's take a look at that. that I was really connected to the Haitian children was my upbringing was so similar to theirs that I just felt connected. When I was a child, we lived in rural poverty. We had no running water, no electricity. We were very poor, lived way out in the country, so it was a long walk to town. When I went to Haiti, it was like I understood them. I build schools for the children of Haiti. Well, the majority of our schools are in the mountains. We have about an hour, an hour and a half drive to get to the base of the mountain. Bonjour. Come away. Oh, From the base of this mountain up to the school, it's about a 2,000-foot climb, but on a hot day, it's, it's about a two-hour hike. Moi, Kantawe. Oui, For them to go to the cities to go to school would be separating them from their families. Well, that's why we come up and, and build here. I call him Papi Bob. Uh, the students call him Papi Bob because he made a lot of difference, especially this area. The students uh, didn't have possibility to go to school. I think Papi Bob does all those things because he just really has a heart for Haiti. Over half of the children that go to our schools don't know their father or their fathers have died. All through my growing up years, I do remember the voices. That you're not worthy, you don't have a dad, you don't know who your dad is, you're not good enough. The dictionary would call me a bastard. It's a fatherless child. It was just like I'd rather die. That's just how I was. And now I'm thinking about other children that have gone through what I've gone through, and maybe I can help them. And I want to make my life count for something instead of not. A one bag has to feed six children. That gives all the nutrition that they need. Education is a key to get out of the poverty stages of life. We want to teach them how they can manage their own businesses, that they can develop their own schools. And, and in that way, we're not setting up a welfare system. We have two water trucks in our organization, and each of the water trucks are out delivering to tent cities, to hotels or homes that have uh, water reservoirs, and they purchase it. Uh, those provide the money for the teachers' salaries. I see us in five years supporting the 13,000 children we have right now from within the country.
I really believe why I don't see despair is I see the potential. It's just like coming into a country with so much opportunity for growth and business. I see it everywhere. Great story. I, I, that, that's one of my lines that's, that really sticks out here is when he says, I want to make my life count for something instead of not. Yeah. And really, uh, I think, embodies the spirit of all these champions of change. Well, what do you like about Bob's story? Well, Bob is two things to me. One is he is a philanthropic entrepreneur. He understands the value of a social conscience. But more importantly, he is an entrepreneurial philanthropist. There he is building businesses so that he can sustain the very charity, the very charitable work, the community work that he's doing in Haiti. I think he's brilliant in execution. He's brilliant in strategy. And I think he's a Canadian we can be very proud of. Yeah, indeed. And and certainly does bring that, that approach where he says, I don't want to create this, this uh, welfare state here. No. And what's important, too, and I've traveled to these countries, is a lot of aid ends up being in the main cities. And then you actually get this, an overkill of aid, and that's been a problem in Haiti as well. He's managed to find a place where people need it and goes to the people in need rather than just sitting and waiting for the need to come to him. I think well, it's critical. In my time in Haiti, it was obvious that the people of Haiti don't fully believe that the money that's been raised is going to be used effectively. I can tell you that anyone who's anywhere around Bob Davison knows that it's effective. Well, listen. That's a great story. Yeah, give God praise for that. That's faith going to another generation. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to show that with also congregation is you helped Bob build a school there. It's got some repairs needed after the earthquake, but you helped him do that. One of the water trucks you bought there, you sent a team there that's doing Alpha, and Alpha's continue going on there. We've just ordered some DVDs in French for them and sending them a, a DVD player so they can continue on with the Alpha course there. And just for, hear somebody on CBC say, anybody who gives to this guy is getting to where it's supposed to go. It's not getting stuck in Port-au-Prince. It's getting out the, there. So you're there. You're doing that. You're helping this guy take faith to another generation. And uh, I was just thrilled to see how God honored his work there and by naming him a champion of change for, for Canada. That's, that's good. God's doing something in the heart of his people, and we rejoice with that. So we want to pass on our faith to another generation, and we can all do that. We can certainly do it in our homes. Last week, Pastor Cheryl talked about how we pass it on within our families. But we're all called to pass on faith to another generation. Let's look at a couple of ways to do that. And by the way, 1 John 5, 4, just before we do that, says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. I don't know what you have to overcome this week. Maybe it's a family thing. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a problem. But here's the good news. This is what overcomes the world. It's your faith. John went on to say, and this is the victory. Now, that word victory in the Greek, you all know, it's a household word. That word victory is the word Nike. We've all worn Nike shoes or seen the Nike products. And Nike's a Greek word. Dr. Harry Rimmer, who did a lot of work back, of the culture back then, he says, Nike means according to that time era, meant a premeditated military campaign that leads to a conquest. Your faith is a premeditated military campaign. It's called the fight of faith. We have the shield. We have the sword. There, faith is a fight. Because sometimes there's pressure that comes against you, and you can't just lie down and say, well, I quit. Faith was standing up and saying, no, you don't. You don't come into my house. No, you don't. You can't have my business. No, you don't. You can't. No, my child will walk. No, their faith has a fight. And so this is a premeditated military campaign. This is a victory that overcomes the world. The Christian life, there's a, there's a fight, not with others, but in the spiritual realm, there's this fight, a fight for 
things to come takes faith. Uh, yeah. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is, but that is not enough. You can't just believe that God is. You must also believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Like I said earlier, faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is what God responds to. In the next page, I have another verse in there. I'll throw it in now. Luke chapter 18, verse 8, it says, Jesus is talking about the woman who comes with persistence before the judge. And she, she comes so persistently that finally just says, you know what, this woman's driving me crazy. Just have whatever you want, woman. You're so persistent. But he says, this is the kind of faith that I'm looking for. And he says, will I really find this faith when I come back? Jesus will come back, and he's, he's not looking for buildings as good as buildings are. He's not looking for a water truck as good as a water truck is. He's not looking for a school as good as a school is. What God's looking for, he's looking for faith. Will I really find faith? These other things are tools, but the, the essence of it, the core of it is our faith, our trust in God. Will I really find faith? What's the most important thing that we can hand off to the next generation is how faith works, how to trust God. How did it happen? How did you trust God? What took place? So how do we hand it off? We know that faith is precious. We know that Timothy got faith from Eunice, his mom, from Lois, his grandmother. It went down from generation to generation. We know from 1 Peter that faith is precious, more precious than gold. We talked about that. So what are some keys to passing this force of faith to the next generation? Number one, establish that our faith must be in God and His Word. Because we will put faith in something. We all have faith in something or someone. But if we want to pass faith on to the next generation, we have to establish our faith is in God. Our faith is in His Word. His Word is tested. His Word's tried. His Word's true. And we can trust God and we can trust His Word. I sometimes have been asked, how can you put so many scriptures in your handout? It's got so many verses because we're a church that believes the Bible. Hallelujah. We believe the New Testament and the Old Testament to be an inspired word of God. And so we put a lot of scriptures in there. Sometimes we don't get to them all. But the idea is that we love God's word. And we know that faith comes from hearing his word and hearing his word and hearing his word. And so it's key that we, if we want to pass on faith to the next generation, we've got to love God and we have to love his word. Does that make sense? If we don't love his word, if we don't keep it First and foremost, then you can't pass faith on to the next generation. In your home, if the Bible is just this dusty big book that sits underneath a shelf somewhere, it's not read, it's not talked about, you won't pass faith on to the next generation. But it's like, man, I love God's Word. I love talking about His Word. I love referring to His Word. Then you can pass faith on to another generation. You can't be ashamed of it. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the power of God I'm not ashamed of the Word of God. So, very important that we have faith in God and His Word. Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus said, Have faith in God. Put your faith there. Put your trust in Him. He's worthy to be trusted. 1 Corinthians 2, 5. Paul wrote to the church there, Then your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Wisdom of men. It's good to have the wisdom of men. We need that. But at the end of the day, our faith is in God. I trust him. We use all that wisdom, but my faith is in God. My trust. I know at the end of the day, God is watching over my life. He's there for me. We use Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. As you hear it, as you hear it, faith builds in your life.
It's it. Faith is the most powerful thing you have in your life. If you have just a little bit of faith, you can be in Timbuktu, Tuk Tuk Tuk. You could be in Haiti. You could be anywhere in the world. But if you've got faith, you've got enough. I would rather be stranded somewhere in the world without a passport, without money, without a credit card. But if I had faith in God, I'd know that I can make it. I'd rather have that than over all the other resources. Why? Because God is able. Pass faith on to the next generation. We think of other things we pass on, but passing faith is most important. You can trust God. Yeah. If you can't leave your children anything, you can't leave them an inheritance. You can't leave them lots of money. You can't leave them a home. You can't leave them a car. But if you can leave them faith, they'll have enough. But let me say on the other side, if you do leave them millions of dollars, if you do leave them a house, if you do leave them a car, they need faith just as much and maybe more. Because it will take faith not to have that come in and squeeze out the relationship with God. So we must pass on faith to the next generation. And sometimes if we're leaving them a lot of things, we think that will take care of them. No, no. We must leave them a faith in God. So uh, 2 Timothy 3.15, look at this amazing verse. Paul says to Timothy, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. I underlined it for you already. Filled in all the blanks for you this morning. So you're welcome, Dan. I appreciate that. (laughs) We got all the blanks filled in, underlined some things. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ. Salvation, as you know, was more than just a ticket to heaven. Salvation is healing. Soundness of mind means more than just a ticket to heaven. Taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. He learned it from his mom. He learned it from his grandmother. And if, if they pass on the faith, that means somehow, some way, they were teaching him what faith was. They, they taught him the Scriptures. And Timothy caught it. Went on to do great things. So if we want to pass it on, we have to establish that our faith must be in God and His Word. Secondly, we have to demonstrate that faith works by love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says, And we... And we to whom Christ has given eternal life don't need to worry about whether we've been circumcised or not. He's talking about the Jewish laws and regulations, whether we need to be obeying Jewish ceremonies or not. He's making a point here. All we need is faith working or energized through love. Faith without love can't be passed on. Faith works by love. This, this little microphone here works by a battery. If I, if I stop and take out the battery, the, the microphone's going to stop working. And if you take love out of your faith, your faith is going to stop working. It can't get passed on to the next generation. Faith works by love. Your, your car works by gasoline. Your, your, uh, your, your, your iPhone works because you charge it up. Take out the battery, it stops working. Take love out of your faith and your faith stops working and it can't be passed to the next generation. So it has to have this love in it to be working. Look at Ephesians 3 verse 17 to 21. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through faith. Now, reading on, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Faith is rooted, grounded in love. Without that, it can't be caught. Without that, faith is just clanging symbol, religious noise. But if there's love in it, love, like 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, seeks not its own, cares for others, 
not boastful, not proud, that kind of love really activates faith. Your faith is activated, faith energized by love. And if the next generation has to get that, they have to know we love them. If they don't know we love them, they're not interested in our faith. If they don't know we care about them, they're not interested in our faith. But if they know we love, we know we care, then they're interested in our faith in God. Faith works by love. Then he goes on to say here that you can comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height. What is that? If this is the width of this podium, and if this is the length of this podium, and if this is the depth of the podium, what's the height? We have a problem. He's talking about four dimensions. Love is the fourth dimension. When you work, faith works with love. We live in a three-dimensional world. When Jessica's little boy was miraculously delivered, faith and love broke through a three-dimensional world, and a miracle came into their life. When the Grady's wrote about their grandchild, friend of the grandchild, that love and faith broke through a three-dimensional world and changed that. When Bob Davison was dying of cancer, faith and love broke through this three-dimensional world. When you, when you take faith and love and you combine it together, it has the power to bring a miracle into your world. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You can't figure this out with your head. It's a hard thing. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now look at this verse. We love this verse. Now to him is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to what? According to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Wow. There's power in you. Look at your neighbor and just say, there's power in you. Power in you. Where? Your heart, faith, and love. According to the power that works in you. When you embrace God's word, it's activated by love. And this faith can change the world you live in. Most precious thing. I don't know how much money you have in the bank. I don't know what kind of car you drive, how many carat your diamond ring has, but this much I know. Your faith is worth way more than any of all that. The most precious thing we have is our faith. That's why one thing the enemy wants is your faith. If he attacks your health, it's not your health he's after, it's your faith. If he attacks your finances, it's not the finances you're after, it's after your faith. If he attacks your family, it's not the family really wants, he wants your faith. He wants you to get in a place that that's it, I don't trust God anymore, I tried it, it doesn't work, I'm checking out. That's the place he wants you, because then he has you. That's why there's times we have to fight the good fight of faith. And we just take a stand, like it says in Ephesians, having done all, I stand. I prayed, I fasted, I read the word, I did everything I know to do. But one thing's for sure, I will not be moved. I'm going to stand. My faith is not for sale. I, like Job, I will trust God in every situation. I will not quit. I will focus on him. My faith is not for sale. 
I will trust God. I will not let go of it. You will be moved. I will stand in him. My God is able. He's greater. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who strengthened me. Now get out of my way. I will not quit. I will not be moved. Yeah, that's... I'm serious. This is the kind of faith we have. We, this is not for sale. Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. Proverbs 23, 23. I will not sell this truth. It's not for sale. Not going to let go of it. I'm going through a hard time, but I will not let go of my faith. It's the most precious thing I have. And I hide it in my heart. I guard my heart with all diligence. I guard my mind with all diligence. You go through all kinds of junk, all kinds of stuff in life. But you say, I will not let go of my faith. I'm not going to let go of it. Because you can be anywhere in the world in any situation, and God will be there for you. If you look at the church in China, what they went through in the Great Revolution, how they were buried really under, under persecution, but somehow they did not let go of their faith. Imprisoned, but they didn't let go of their faith. They handed it off, and now another generation has it. And perhaps the greatest church on the, con- on the world is in China because they, what? They didn't let go of their faith amongst all the persecution and hardship. They held on to the most precious thing, and no government, no force could take that out of their hearts. Canadians, sometimes we have it too soft, too easy. We focus on things that aren't the most important. The most important thing we have in our life is our living faith in a living God. Excuse me while I preach a bit. I'm just encouraging it. Don't let go of your faith. It works by love. To pass it on, our faith must line up with the way we live. We live by faith. To pass it on, people have to see that what we express is our faith in God, our trust in Him and His Word, His holy scriptures, line up with the way that we live. If we say, in one hand, this is what I believe, but our lifestyle is something else, the next generation does not want to grab that. They perceive it to be hypocrisy and they push away from it. So it's important that we do our best. None of us are perfect. We're not always going to get it right. But we sincerely try our best. And the next generation gets that. They know we're not perfect, but at least they're trying. They're honest. They're open. They're not faking it. There's something real. I want to grab onto what they have. So our faith has to line up with the way we live. And then lastly... Helping someone else grow in faith, amazingly, it helps grow your own faith. You'd think if you give something away, you'd have less of it. you think, oh, I'll give my faith away, I won't have as much faith. I don't know how this works. But the more you help somebody else grow in faith, the more your faith will grow. Matter of fact, your faith is a lot like a muscle. In 1 Thessalonians, I have that verse there. It says, your faith grows exceedingly. When you go to the gym... And they give you some weights to push. You always, it's always resistance. If you increase the resistance, the muscles grow more. And faith, it pushes against things that come into your life. But if you, if you say, wait a minute, no, I'm going to trust God in this, your faith will grow. Another thing comes along and your faith grows. And if you encourage somebody else in their faith and help them along, I don't know what happens, but it, it works for you. When you reach out and help somebody else, help them get a a start in life. Lift them up and show them how to trust God. It helps you as much as it helps them. 
There's a neat story called Blindside. I don't know if some of you have seen that movie, Blindside, but it's a true story about a Christian lady who reaches out and helps a young black man who was struggling in his life. And she takes him into her, her home, which was a great risk, and she helps him. And her, her social world, a fairly affluent society, doesn't understand what she's doing. But she's reaching out. And the guy goes on to become an NFL football player, but she reached out and she put faith really into him. But her world didn't understand it. But what not only changed him, but it was changing her. Here's a little clip from that movie. Catch her last line in this clip. Hey, does Michael get the family discount at Taco Bell? Because if he does, Sean's going to lose a few stores. <laughs> He's a good kid. Well, I say you make it official and just adopt him. <laughs> uh, he's going to be 18 in a few months. Doesn't really make much sense to legally adopt. Leanne, is this some sort of white guilt thing? What will your daddy say? Um, before or after he turns over in his grave. Daddy's been gone five years, Elaine. Make matters worse, you were at the funeral. Remember? You wore Chanel in that awful black hat. Look, here's the deal. I don't need y'all to approve my choices, all right? But I do ask that you respect them. You have no idea what this boy's been through, and if this is going to become some running diatribe, I can find an overpriced salad a lot closer to home. Leanne, I'm so sorry. We didn't intend to... No, we didn't, really. I think what you're doing is so great. To open up your home to him and Honey, you're changing that boy's life. No. He's changing mine. It's a great line. No, he's changing my life. And then you give your faith away and invest in the next generation. It has a great effect on your own life. And I don't know where you're at today, but we're going to wrap up this morning's service. And I just want to challenge you. Give away your faith to the next generation. It may be your children. If you have children, it needs to be. It may be somebody who's come into your life. It may be supporting somebody like Bob and the work that he's doing or many other situations. But the greatest thing you can pass on is a faith in a living God to somebody else. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.